This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Laurent Lamotte, who is a futurist, serial entrepreneur, investor, and also happens to be the former Prime Minister of Haiti. Uh, Laurent, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thank you very much, Mike. So I've heard a weird rumour with presidents, particularly in America, where they're still addressed as Prime Minister even after they've served. Is that the same in Haiti? Just curious. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, same for ministers. So once you served as, as prime minister, usually you carry out the, the title for... It's like the French system. You know, we, we, we inherited that from the French. Ah, oh, very nice. So I need to know, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that'd be curious, particularly with the way the world has been going, the way the world is at the moment, is politics very different on the inside in comparison to what people typically see because people can get very opinionated and very strong in their beliefs and the way that they've seen things play out for them so whether they see on tv or radio but i'm aware that behind the scenes could be very very different so what is it really like well, certainly it depends on the communication methods of, of government leaders and government officials. Some communicate more, some communicate less, some not communicate at all. And with the emergence of social media, especially the TikTok generation, where information is like on the spot, that shapes perception. And it certainly shapes how people view their leaders, how people view um, their government. So on the inside, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to say, but all, all I can tell you is the, the public sees maybe five to 10% of what's going on. And they usually see the final product and the edited version, but they don't see the preparation. They don't see them, they're not in the kitchen. And, uh, and leaders, especially nowadays, you know, they're very much aware of the impact of social media on their persona. So that dramatically changed how politics is, is carried out, both inside and out. Do you ever see the final product and think it should probably have been delivered better? Do you ever have moments where the editing doesn't go quite the way that you would have liked it to after the fact? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, you have the way you envision things to be and the timing, because in a, in a private sector environment, you know, you have, you have your, 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 your project plan, you have your KPIs, you have your, you know, the, the project milestones um, with deadlines, et cetera. And, and you, 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 more of the time you see it through. In government, it's not like that because you have a set mandate and in the case of Prime Minister of Haiti, you don't have a set mandate. Actually, the average Prime Minister stays there for 12 months. So in so when you start a project, it's not all the time that you see it through because politically, political factors impact um, the ecosystem and you're not able to carry it through. So, and I would say that happens more frequently than not. And projects take time, especially infrastructure projects, especially in a country like Haiti, where you know, you have natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, uh, all types of natural disasters. So a lot of the times, the, your, 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 your focus or your decision-making focus is shifted towards the disaster and the relief of the disaster, and, and you go away from your initial priority. So a lot of times, you don't see projects through. When I've been fairly observant, and I guess it's made easier thanks to social media, as you said, it's very easy to observe the way things have happened, particularly over the course of many presidents and ministers and all those things. It can almost feel like the important things that take longer than a prime minister serving they're the things that, as you said, tend to 
not get to finish while you're there. So something's quite important. You really want to commit to it, make sure that it happens. But then your length of service gets cut short or you have to step down and it's still not seen through. Does that speak to how potentially flawed the way that we're governed is? If we want to solve any bigger problems, like say it could be climate change or hopefully prevented some kind of disaster that wipes us out, I guess you could say. Um, do you think that there's a bit of an issue with that? And in your experience, now you're from the outside, do you think that there could be some changes that needed to happen to the way that we govern ourselves if some of the longer sort of decade or more kind of problems that we need to solve for them to actually be solved? Well, you see a new generation of voters now, and certainly you see a new generation of leaders uh, coming along. And what you'll see for sure, you'll see a lot of changes in the way that, gov that like government decisions are made because of the, the youth and innovation side of, of new leaders. You have new leaders in, in Latin America, in Chile, in El Salvador, and then they have a completely different way of, of, of managing government. So you will see that. Now, in terms of changes, you know, one change that can be done in order to ensure that projects are carried through or, or, or promises are, are done is, is by, is by uh, using data, is, uh, is basically make data-driven policies, which is not the case now. A lot of decisions are made by politics rather than by data. And once you start making data-driven decisions in government, you will see a lot of you will see a lot more impact on the government, on people that are receiving, that are in the receiving end of, of those policies. And the, because the data also will do polling, will get some, you know, customer, I mean, just like you run a regular um, enterprise, you know, you have to have your customers and the customers need to be happy with the product. Otherwise they just churn and go someplace else, right? It's the same. Now, once you can get the government to catch up with the world's innovation of data, management, you will see a huge improvement in how uh, policies are carried out. The way I picture that looking as well is things that might start off as small problems, if you look at the data, may then get worse over time and become more of a pressing issue if the data's carried on in between presidents, kind of like the climate thing, where if it keeps escalating through multiple presidents, someone somewhere will make it become a more pressing issue if they keep their eye on the data things will get worse couldn't they well i mean it depends it depends it depends of course on the the handover on on which on, on which present the policies and everything but actually if a lot of times if a project begins or policy is enacted for example the climate change policy for example the paris accord and then you have multiple, you know, what should happen, I think, is, the, is to shorten time frames for execution. This way you're able to carry it out and start it off and, 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 and start working based on the current leadership in countries that have signed on to the agreements. Because, you know, you can, you can never guarantee that a new president in a country will continue a project, whether it be some data or not, because he has his politics, right? So the politics will always be very important. But shortening the time frame of project execution certainly will will, will and but that that also takes resources and that's where for example a country um, like you know countries in Africa the Caribbean emerging economies they might not have the you know the the the, the resources to carry out those projects so this is why it's important to understand you know to have a good plan. To explain the plan, to sell the plan well to the it's like a pitch deck, right? It's a pitch deck that you pitch not only to an investor, but you pitch it to your population and your constituents. So it's a different way of governing, and it's a certainly different way of uh, seeing projects through and policies happen. But at the end of the day, it's all about who comes in to office. And again, this can be, this can be. You know, that's a very interesting topic, who comes into office, because in many countries, for any job that you would want to have, 
even an internship, you have to go through two, three interviews. You have to go to your HR department. You have to talk to people. So I think the political system worldwide needs to be revised because it's, it's flawed in reality. Political systems worldwide right now, they don't do any favors to the young generation. So, but it's easily managed, right? So you just have to, you just have to ensure that to get the, the people in office, you have to, you have to ensure that in the, in the application process, I should say, so, so in the candidacy process, right? You have criteria, just like if you want to have a good CEO, you're going to make sure that he has the right referrals, the right experience, that he went to the right school, that, that, that he studied that. But, you know, in, in many countries, you have doctors that become presidents and they don't have any executive training other than the medical training. So what? So it's not because you're a good doctor. It's not because you're a good uh, professor that you're going to be a good CEO of a country. So that takes training and skills. And especially in execution, in management, in finance, it, it, it takes skills. And that's why a lot of countries fail and people are asking why. It's because the people that are leading, they don't have the right training and they don't have the right education for the job. Does that make it almost a very difficult task to really achieve what you set out to achieve if your policies or goals as a a governor it's quite difficult to really see it through if they're bigger goals as well like it's so hard to do and you mentioned speeding up the times of execution is that something that you spent a lot of time on yourself and something that you actually employ at the moment now you've you've left political office and you're running your companies is that something that you do currently well that's what i try to do is is to you know i mean this is management 101 right if you start a project you want to finish it and and you look at ways of of, of doing so so when i went to uh, to when i did my mba in management that's one of the training that you get is is look you know when you do a project make sure that you have the resources make sure that you have your team make sure that you have your plan make sure that you prepared make sure that i mean make sure that you have the will to carry it through I identify potential uh, shortfalls or or, or um, adversity and then navigate around it to uh, execute projects. So uh, it all depends. It all depends on the leader. It all depends. But you know, I, I'm you know, I'm talking very much globally onto the on a global scale, saying that it's time for the world to recognize that you know that there is a new generation. That you know the the old school policies should be out and in with new policies that adapt more to the younger constituents that represent the majority of population of most of those countries. It definitely springs to mind the idea of running a country can be quite similar to running a business with the exception of maybe it's easier to influence a situation when it's your own company versus a lot of consequences and countries back and forth trying to come up with the the best solution can delay things can't it? it can be so difficult to really take action on something when there's so many different moving pieces oh yeah for sure and, and, and so many different people and a huge uh, administration to to you know to to manage but it's the same principles the principles are the same and the the objectives the objectives might vary, but the principles they are the same. You know, you have to, you know, you might you have to manage budget. You have to, you know, you have you have to have a good, a good financial management. You need to have good governance in terms of security. So you need to hire. You can, you know, so so you have all types of, of uh, you know, aspects of it. But essentially, you're right. It is very similar. So what would you say when you went from? political office into the companies did you have them at the same time do you go from one to the other place people listening a little bit just to give people a, an idea on when you started each one so basically i was an entrepreneur before i was in in government so i, I was only in government for two and a half years and i've been you know having been running my businesses for almost 23 years now 
So I'm much more of a, you know, entrepreneur minded, much more of a business minded person than that I'm a politician. So, so I was, I was, uh, you know, running a, a, a very large telecommunication company, uh, mostly in emerging markets. And I left to occupy the post of foreign minister in Haiti. And then from foreign minister, I went to prime minister. And um, that lasted, let's say, three years in total. After that, when I resigned, I went back to my private life. And um, I opened, I did two things. So I opened the Think Tank, which is LSA World Initiative, to help the, the you know, emerging countries in the world with innovative financing strategies, because a lot of countries, they're struggling, you know, with heavy amount of debt, whether, that, I mean, whether it's public debt or private debt or internal debt, but, you know, private debt, or, but debt in general. So the innovative financing strategies look at a whole array of scope to help countries get out of the cycle of, of, of debt and raise their own revenues to supplement or in parallel of the debt. So basically it gives them a way out to carry out their priority projects. And then I did a foundation. And after that, um, and after that, after the foundation, then I became, uh, then I opened uh, sort of a family office to invest in startups um, in the FinTech area, mostly in, uh, you know, FinTech, legal tech, uh, and also uh, health tech. So those are the three sectors that, that we focus on. And it's a, it's a tremendous and exciting field because you, you work with entrepreneurs every day. You see small business at the startup level. You see people, you, 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 can see, you can see the passion that they have for their business and the belief that they have. And you see a lot of quality people and good people out there. What would you say the keys were to some of your successes? And I mean things like being able to stay in political office for three years, three plus years, which, if I'm not mistaken, that still puts you as the longest standing prime minister yeah. in Haiti. I could be wrong in saying that. You have to fact check. Yeah, you're that. right. That's right. That's right. That's a record. I, you know, I hold the record. You hold the record. Uh, 31 months. <laughs> 31 months. <laughs> 31 months. Not quite three years, but 31 months. So it sounds the like... average, the problem, and, and this is this is what explains the problem that Haiti is facing also, right? The prime minister doesn't have a, a term, so he could start today and end next month or next week or next year, or he could stay five years. So, so far, nobody has stayed 31 months. The one that came closest stayed maybe, I think, 20 months. So I still have an 11-month, you know, lead on the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me think there must be something that you did. Maybe it takes a bit of reflection from you to be able to answer this question, but what would you put that down to? Well, it's very important in, that, in, in the system the way it is to have a good relationship with, with Parliament. And I had a very good relationship with Parliament. So, the, so the, usually it's the Parliament that kicks out the Prime Minister. But in that case, it was the other way around. So the parliament, you know, mandate expired before I left. So basically their, their, their constitutional mandate was some four years, some five years. And then 80% and then of them, their mandate expired. So I stayed on. And then I resigned. I resigned because, you know, the, 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 the president at the time felt that, you know, he should, he should have a more political person rather than a more development-oriented person. So he went with a hardened politician uh, to, run the, to, to run the government uh, after, after me. So there, there you have it. Did that make you want to change at a bigger scale then? Like you served as prime minister, then you thought, okay, how can I serve a bigger level? Mentioning the helping countries with their, you know, financial investments, help them with their projects, that sort of thing. That made me think, well, maybe he served and he realized that there was a need for this thing when you looked under the hood and then you started to create this company as a way of helping at a bigger scale. Yes, absolutely. Because I felt that doing things differently, and that's how I am usually, I, I like to do things differently. I felt that I served post-earthquake 
There is a lot of lessons to be learned from that. I served in a country that's very financially challenged. There is a lesson to be learned from that. And why not do something that others haven't done, which is communicated to the world, and especially communicated to emerging uh, markets, to poorer countries, to see the experience that we've done and, and share notes and see, okay, this is what I've done. This, you know, what are you doing? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? So, so a lot of that is is more, you know, sharing notes and, and ensuring that uh, things are are you know passed along my experience is passed along so that it's not completely wasted and i think a lot more of that should be done and should happen but hopefully hopefully that will be the case i was gonna bring up the earthquake as well because obviously that's something that could be sticking in in people's minds even though it was a long time ago were you part of the recovery effort as well and how did you navigate that there must have been so much happening all at once how did you cope did you have any coping strategies was it just a case of putting people in the best positions to succeed and let them do their job how did you actually navigate that exactly right so i I came into office post earthquake and the country was in ruins everything was broken now everything was destroyed so it took a lot of i would say planning and organization in order to get people, one, mobilize, two, execution, carry out execution and implementation of project guidelines. And that was not easy. So I, I put up, you know, I more, you know, put up a team, give everybody their responsibilities, give them their KPIs, give them, give them their timelines in terms of by when things have to be completed. And, you know, for, for the time that it lasted, it made a, I thought it, it made a big difference. Because we were able to, for example, to fix the international airport, who was destroyed after the earthquake. Uh, then we added another international airport in the north part because we realized that having a single point of entry in a country that that is very antiquated. So now countries are opening airports left and right. So we wanted to open a second. We, 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 were good. we had a plan to open four, but to, to, to your point, you know, we were able to carry two and then the other two, we started, but we didn't finish. And then the people came in after us because they were, you know, I would say more older, hardened, old style, traditional politicians. They didn't see the need to have four airports. They saw they don't need to have one airport, which is, and, and things like that. So, so that so that goes to your point of of continuity in 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 in, in project delivery. Before we get into the more business side of how you spend most of your time on now, what were some of the biggest lessons that you did serve as prime minister, and are there any that have stuck with you since then? Uh, the lessons learned are pretty straightforward. Is one is that you need to build consensus while making decisions. And I think government teaches you that. You know, anything you do, you need to build consensus. You need to talk to people. Communication is very important. Communicating what you're feeling and, and having others helping you shape what you're thinking. Third lesson is always take input from the people you're serving. Because you, those are the people that are going to be the judge at the end of the day of whether you're successful or not, or you have a good product or not. So always staying in touch and then serving and, and understanding what's going on there. That's three. And then four is something that I didn't expect, but it's something that, you know, when you have friends in politics, you have to ensure that they're real friends. Because sometimes people that call themselves friends, they end up being your biggest enemy. And they end up backstabbing you and, you know, so things that you wouldn't expect. So I would say double check or verify closely the people that say that they're your friends, because then they can be, you know, very negative to energy to what you're trying to do. That is something that I would like to ask you about if that's okay with you because it's so difficult for people to judge in some way or tell at least whether someone is genuine or not so during your serving in in government and also beyond that 
how could you tell if a relationship was genuine or not? Were there any tells, anything that you used as a guide? Well, one is the, 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 their public uh, opinion, the public opinion of what they communicate publicly or whether they do or not. That's a good, I, I would say, uh, barometer. Because if somebody is, is, uh, believes in your, in your vision and plan, carries it out publicly, that makes a big difference. If, he's, if he is not willing to do so, that, that's a red flag. That's mostly for government, huh? So this is, this is a very important indicator. So it's almost like, it's like a test of, of character, where if they do what they say they're going to do, that's one of the, the tells that, at least if they tell you something, most of the time they're going to follow through? Yeah, and also, you know, in Haitian politics or in, I would say a lot of emerging countries, it's like that. If if you if you would put people through lie detectors, the lie the lie detector would 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 go out of order because it would it, it would you know jump all the time. So so that would be a good way of keeping people honest yeah. and and ensuring uh, that what they say they do they actually do it for the benefit of the people that you're carrying it for. So is that something that you take into your companies as well? There has to be an element of I could say a lot of different things, but a lot of people can judge based on the things that I follow through with and the actions that I take instead of just saying whatever it is that I feel like saying in the moment. Absolutely. 100%. No, I think, I, I think you know, because I separate the public service to the private one, because at the end of the day, it's, uh, the scale is different. The, uh, the uh, I would say, the uh, the engagement is also very different. So when you now, a lot, there is a lot of similarities. So I bring the similarities along, and I understand that the difference is if you fail in a, in the private sector, you can always you're not gonna disappear. You always can manage, you know, and uh, you open a new company you open other companies, you partner in companies, so you can always do that, right? Whereas when you feel, when you feel, you know, in a policy for a country, you have people that can lose their lives and people can die and people can, families can be ruined. So you have to, the scale is different, but the, the yeah, so so that's that's what I would say. But I, I, I did carry out a lot of, I would say 80% of the approach of government bring it into a pack, repackage it into a private private company. How do you handle the risk that comes along with something like that? Like people can lose their lives based on a decision that you can make when you run for office. I guess it's similar to companies and depending on the situation of your staff or your colleagues that there can be very serious consequences of the decisions that you're making. Do you have any rules that you have for yourself, any principles, any North Stars that you look to that can help with making those important decisions? Because it's running a company is one thing, but running a country can be very different in terms of the longer term consequences and the people that you're dealing with and different livelihoods and all those things it's never a straight line is it it's never like if I do this then this will definitely happen and how do you think about risk and how do you basically train yourself to tolerate something like that well you need to before you make the decision it has to be well discussed you know, you need to evaluate the pros and cons. And you need to, if it's a very important thing, you need to have data to back it up. So you need to have, you know, you need to have, uh, you know, sweat analysis done. You need to have, you know, positives and negatives review. You need to have, you know, inputs from, from experts. You know, what I like myself to, to do is if, you know, I don't know everything. so. What I don't know, some, some, somebody knows it better than I do. And then you can hire a person to help you make better decisions. So that's what I, that's what I have to say about that.
it's a very interesting point actually when you go in with a beginner's mindset almost i mean i don't want to use the term beginner because it's very rare that you're actually a beginner but if you go in with i can learn something here i don't know everything that then opens you up to different solutions and possibly better solutions as well 100 percent. that's the, that's the whole that's the whole idea are there any particular incidences or circumstances that stand out where let's say you go in with i don't know everything and the perfect thing shows up or appears and you take maximum advantage of that like you go in with the beginner's frame of mind and it turns out so much better than you could have hoped for well it's 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 you know i would say that when you go into any situation unless you know people are experts at few things they're not expert at everything you know somebody that's a olympic skier and that 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 is an expert at that that doesn't mean that he's a good tennis player or the tennis player is not necessarily a good skier but but the tennis player can want to ski but it, then it's better that he hires a good professor a good teacher sorry a coach that trains him how to do it right so it's the same thing in in in, uh, in government or in when you're managing a business you don't know everything you might be expert at a few things those that you don't know it's it's better that you contract or that you hire people you have a good team around you and a good team of consultants that are you know at the end less expensive to help you carry through your vision and execute your, your 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 what you see as a in your company to take a little bit of a sidestep at the moment are you currently investing in certain startups and companies similar to what we've been speaking about at the moment is that part of how you assess whether they're investable or not based on you know their risk tolerance their ability to learn new things or hire the right people which speaks to the mindset of the the founder or the director or the the ceo as opposed to just what the company is is there an element of that in how you decide how to invest yes there is so what sort of things do you look out for aside from those then if you were to put a bit of a, a tip list together on companies that you would see as investable what would that be well one of the things is the addressable market the other thing is is uh, you know the technology that you're using the other thing is the traction that they have the other you know we have very specific uh, criteria that we look at in order to invest or not but but mostly you know, and we have our thesis that invests mostly in, in startups, in fintech startup, mostly in, for example, um, in, you know, we have few digital banks, we have few um, digital, and, and, and it all has to be, you know, high tech digital approach, cutting edge, and, uh, and, and and we like to push the boundaries in terms of that world. You know, the, we believe that the financial the financial world has not been disrupted. A lot of industries have been disrupted. The telecommunication industry has been significantly disrupted. The insurance has not been that disrupted, right? So, the the the, the legal uh, world has not been that disrupted. It's still very difficult to hire a lawyer to get your contract. It's very difficult. Right, so that world has not been disrupted. It's starting to, but it's gonna take a long time. What I like about what you said there was how you're so future focused and and technology driven. It's almost like technology is one of the things that you that you tend to spend a lot of your time on. And what I got curious about was this idea of being future focused, look into the future, what's going to still be around in the future, where is the future going? Have you had any thoughts about that yourself? Because you have to be able to see the future a little bit or see where the world's going to be able to to decide on where you put your investments and things like that. How do you see the future looking? Well, I believe, you know, that the future is looking very bright and good. We're looking at things that have never been done before. We're looking at certainly income levels that have never been seen before by the general population. We're looking at technologies that are gonna change the way we do things. For example, when we had, before we used to go to hotels, now we go to Airbnbs mostly, 
we used to use taxi cabs before. Now it's like almost a rarity not to use Uber or Lyft. So the transportation industry has been completely, you know, changed. We used to, for example, go to the library. Now we go to Amazon, you know, to do our bookshop. So everything changed to make it digital. So the world is changing to be a digital world completely. And that's going to create a, an, an incredible amount of, of jobs in that industry. But there is robots also that are creating, you know, the job that are substituting the job. But what it also does is it, 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 it's going to lower is going to lower global prices in general and make it more affordable for people globally to have access. You're talking about flying flying cars. We're talking about you know the future of shopping, the future of malls. We're talking about where you can go into the metaverse and then walk into a mall, make your purchases, check the product, scan the product, see the product, test, feel it, and then purchase it. So that's the future of shopping. And we already see it. We already see the future of shopping. Like a company like, for example, even Amazon. Amazon, you, now you can go in, into shops. You don't talk to anyone. You just go with your phone. You scan your, your Amazon account. You go in, you pick whatever you want, and you leave. <laughs> and it's all it's all registered. You charge. The inventory is, is, uh, is uh, adjusted when you take your items, you know, and the orders are done to replenish it. So it's, it's, it's changing completely. Do you find that very often it's easy to notice the future and see the early adopters, I think they're called, where people seem to get in when it's new? And are you one of those people as well? And does that help you figure out where the future's going? Because you're one of the few people that can notice it when so few people know it exists. Yes, I, definitely. I, I, I like to invest myself in future. I'm a future, so I like to invest myself in the future and how things are going to happen, etc. So definitely, yeah. As a bit of a flip of the coin slightly, and this sort of touches on risk a little bit, is I'd be really curious, a bit of a random question now, so I have to apologise for that. Mm-hmm. How do you think about long-term consequences and some unintended consequences and how do you let that sink in if it does sink in you know the idea of our actions having consequences and you're one of the rare people that could probably speak to things on multiple different levels so i'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are on consequences long term short term unintended how do you think about that so the consequences, it all has to do in the, in, in the preparation towards the decision. Because you will take that into account when you make the decision. You will take that now. Things can go, you know, haywire. They can go off. But then you have to also take that into the planning. And what are you going to do about it? That's, that's when you have your contingency plans. And that's when you have your plan A, plan B, plan C approach. You have data to support the decision. So I think... Look, you can never be sure of a decision and its, and its consequences in the future, but you can prepare yourself to minimize as much as possible an adverse impact. And if it does, then you plan for it. So is that where you mentioned there before about having a contingency plan as well, where you try yeah. to, if the negative happens, then what do I do? You, you, you have that built into your, to your planning mechanism. So at what point do you keep it a thought experiment for now so that you can fully get as clear as you can? But how do you not just stay in your head and how do you actually still take action? Because this is where procrastination sits well, this in, is, where it stays in your head. Then you need to, that, that's leadership skills. You need to be, you know, once you have, once you do what you do, you need to press the button and you need not to be scared of pressing it and make the decision. Some people, they fail at that. Some people excel at that. And that that makes a great leader versus a failed leader. So is that something that you would say you can train? Is it something that you're born with? How do you help people get into a habit of not just thinking about things or consequences? I quite like the contingency plan as well, where if things do go badly, what else can you do? 
but then how do you help people with that little bit that's that little bit seems to be what people struggle with well i think i think you know you have to prepare yourself and be ready for the task so you need to prepare yourself and if you don't know you need to inform yourself about it so that when you make the decision it can be an informed leadership based decision based on what you feel intrinsically that is a good and right and just decision but for that you shouldn't only count on on uh, instincts or emotion you should also count on on your on your own research and your own you know forming your own opinion on things do you have a, a litmus test of once I know this much information about the situation, I've put the contingency together, at what point do you then go, right, the only way I can get any better at this, this decision, is to go out and start taking action and then use that to inform the rest of your decisions. At what point do you say, I've got to act and then get better as it goes along? Well, you, you need to, I mean, you will also get the reality on the ground to know when you need to act how you need to act so that's you know there is a lot of feeling that have to come with that as well and is that like just a, an instinct a feeling i think it's a leadership you know instinct yeah leadership does matter for sure i i think it's something that when i first started in terms of the show that i have now the the companies and things and the people that i've started to help along the way is i feel almost like it's actually going to be worse off if I keep thinking about this thing because you start second-guessing yourself sometimes and that can be a very difficult situation because that confuses the way that you think and you can never really get to the point where you start taking action. That's true. That is true. That's true. That's, uh, you know, you, you get to a sort of a scope, scope creep, um, you know, where you're not sure of the scope and things, you know, that, that happens, of course, that happens all the time. And, you know, sometimes you deal with it, sometimes you don't. And, and sometimes that's why you don't do every single project in front of you or you don't make any single, you know, invest in everything. You will, you know, I mean, you will know from within which one to go with. And also a lot of, you know, gut has a lot to do with it also because you can have five good decisions in front of you are five bad decisions and your gut tells you, okay, let me go with this one. Yeah. Yeah, it it's almost like you've got to be able to trust your instincts quite a lot just to be able to do the job. Like when you served in Haiti, when you run your companies now, you've got to have that level of trust and faith and belief that what you think is right is actually right. You've got to have that level of trust, don't you? Absolutely. This is this is where the it's trust and leadership skills. I think those are the key components. Just before we round off the conversation, Lawrence, I just got to say, has been really great to have you on. Learned loads of things just on this conversation. We may have to have a round two at some point in the future. I really enjoyed sure. it. Um, I'd be really curious as to this question, and I've asked a few people this question it's made me change almost how i picture my own journey as well because i've had some real shifts with my direction since i've asked more and more people this this very question and essentially it's you may have some practice at this <laughs> during your your term in politics but if you were stood on the top of a mountain with a microphone and it would be translated so everybody heard it exactly how you intended. What would you tell the world? What would be your message? Let's say you only had one or two minutes. What would you say to everybody? I would have a message of, uh, of uh, helping the less fortunate. I would have a message of helping those that, need, that needed the most and then use the richness of the world and the innovation to bring a more just society. That's what, because I think that, you know, you, the world is developing, the world is going forward, but you don't see, you see a lot of disparity happening. So if I had a word, I would say help, help the less fortunate and let's create a more equal world. In your opinion, do you actually think that we'll ever 
live in a world where everybody will actually, in air quotes, get along? Do you think we'll ever reach that point, or do you think there'll always be something that'll keep us from getting there? The world today is a much better and safer place than it was, you know, years ago. If you take the, the Ukraine war, you know, you don't have as many wars. You know, you have a lot of, you know, technology has really helped, certainly, you know, bring up societies from rich to poor. So you do have, you know, a positive trend happening here. And you have to capitalize on it. What do you think is stopping people from actually seeing that or having that be their perspective? Because sometimes people only see the negative, others only see the positive and have a slightly more, I would say, potentially deluded version of, of reality. They try and convince themselves. Because you have a lot, amazing. because, you know, the, the, the media doesn't help because the media carries out negative news, I would say, 90, 80% of the time. If something makes news, it has to be negative. For example, Somebody might graduate the top of their class from the biggest university in, in the US or in the world, that doesn't make a headline. But you have a nutcase pulling a gun and shooting at a few uh, at kids, killing two, that makes global headlines. So the, the media is more focused on the negative news that people you know read than on the positive news. So that's why also that, that has a ripple effect on, on, on the viewers to have a negative also viewing of the world and how, it, and how it's happening. But for example, if you look at the statistics, nobody talks about the statistics of how the world does today versus it did before. Nobody has the statistics of, let's say, um, the, the, the disease index in the world how it is today than when it was 50 years ago. The income levels, how it is today than it was 50 years ago. It's much better. You know, before having an air conditioner was a luxury for a rich, I mean, for the richest of the US families. Today, the poorest American has an air conditioning. It's like normal. And a car. Before, people didn't used to have cars, everybody. Now, everybody has a car, right? So. That in itself makes you improve the quality of life, right? To be able to put to go from point A to point B, you don't have so so you have a lot of changes in this world and a lot of progress, and and I think that it's very positive, and I think we live in a world that that now now what the world needs to do is to cater and and to come up with policies to help those that have that, that have been cut out seniors. Um, you know, people people living in, in emerging countries that have not been part of this revolution that, that took part and that are left behind. People that are victims of, you know, climate change, of the emissions levels, um, people that are marginalized. So it's because people don't focus on them that it hasn't been fixed. Because if you can send pri a private um, rocket to, to Mars, or, you know, you can have space stations, you know, not because you focus on that, you can certainly have the same thing for those that are less fortunate in this world by focusing on that. I think that there's a lot of wisdom in, in what you said regarding helping the less fortunate, because if that plays out, if we do that, let's say for, I don't know, two years, three years, less fortunate starts to look brighter anyway For which sure. would which would make everybody else's if it's almost like the tide that raises all boats isn't it and and you have it's very simple you have countries that are mandated military spending that are going to spend billions and billions of dollars on buying weapons to kill others and then why don't, why don't we have the globally the same index 1% GDP, 2% GDP that's invested in people. Not necessarily in welfare programs, but in training programs, training for the new economy. You know, you have a creator economy, giving them the opportunity to participate in that, giving them scholarships to learn. You know, you create opportunities, not a welfare state, but opportunities for them to prosper and get out of the cycle 
you know, handicaps, you know, improve, improve access for handicaps, uh, you know, mother, single mom with several kids, same thing. So you have specific pockets of people that you can work with by having, I would say, index, GDP spent on index on social justice programs. Very, very interesting concept there where it's like the top 1% help give to the lesser one to three percent um and i guess that that'd be almost convenient for them to do that and the impact of that would be so much bigger than i guess most people could could really sure. think about 100 percent, no doubt no doubt is there anything that you would be frustrated about if we didn't have the chance to talk about it on the show as i said it's been a fascinating conversation i've enjoyed connecting with you and, and getting to know how you. how you think it's been very interesting i'm sure loads of people listening would feel the same way but if there's anything that you want to discuss anything that you would not enjoy if we didn't have the chance to what springs to mind no, I think I think I think we covered you know a wide amount of topics, so I'm 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 good. So, Prime Minister Lawrence, how can people contact you? Get to enter your world a little bit of the finance world, startup world, all the other projects that you have going on. How can people find out more about you? My Instagram at Laurent Lamont is the best way to reach me and ask me any questions. DM me. Um, I'm pretty good at answering, and hopefully we stay in touch. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Lauren, thanks so much for being a guest. Thank you, Michael. It was a pleasure. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and that gets the help and support from me, and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.